What's up, church family? I am so grateful for our online pastors, Colton and Jessica Townley. Man, God has anointed them and he's called them. And I've said this before, one of the biggest things that validate me as a leader are the people that God allows me to lead. And I really believe that they're gonna help uh, our online community get engaged, know the Lord, even beyond what you could possibly imagine. So uh, put in the chat, you're grateful for our online pastors, and I believe that God's going to use them mightily. And so if you've been watching over the last couple of weeks, I've been uh, talking about this series, Ghosted, uh, in the New King James. In the King James, the Holy Spirit is called the Holy Ghost, so I'm trying to be a little creative and call it Ghosted, but uh, I really believe that we're supposed to uh, go after the, the presence of God and the power of the Holy Spirit through this series. And so this next five weeks, I want you to engage every single week online. And I really believe, if you miss a week, I get it, you got stuff going on, but go back and watch it because I really believe God's going to do something special. And in this time praying for this uh, sermon series, I felt the Lord say that he doesn't want me to preach any of those messages. Not that I won't be around hosting services or praying for you, but that I'm not going on vacation, I'll be here, but I believe that God wants to give specific words to specific people uh, here on our team. And so what I believe is the Holy Spirit has called us all together to hear from God. He wants to empower all of us uniquely, and I don't want to get caught up that if uh, the Holy Spirit's not using Pastor Julian and the Holy Spirit is not moving. That is not true in the church, and it's not true in our church. And so I really believe that God's going to do something special, and that after this series, uh, we're going to uh, be able to see a tangible difference in our church, a tangible difference in our lives after engaging what does it mean to be filled and to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so today is my... Uh, last sermon for a few weeks. And as I was praying, I got this thought before and after. I want to preach a message called before and after. Um, if I'm your pastor, you've been even paying attention at all. Um, I've been working out. And if I were to put some before photos on the screen uh, with um, my shirt off, that would be inappropriate. But there is a visible before and after in my life working out. Matter of fact, the Holy Spirit told me that on my 60th birthday, I will preach a sermon without a shirt. And if that makes you uncomfortable, that's fine. I have to listen to God. 60th birthday, what year is that? That'll be 2037, I believe. I will be 60 years old in 2037, and I'm preaching without a shirt. And honestly, this revelation has developed a little bit because he also said without a shirt and cowboy boots. Holy Spirit, God works in mysterious ways. It's kind of weird. Never owned a pair of cowboy boots, but whatever. There's a before and after in my life. And I think so many times in the world, we, we chase the after um, and we try to shortcut the before to get to the after. So there's all these diet pills you can take. There's all these different crack diets you can do to get the weight off quicker. But the old school way of losing weight is eating the right food and moving your body. That's just what it is. And so you can make a billion dollar business shortcutting the old school way of just eating the right foods and uh, watching what you eat and working out. And so as I was praying for this series, I felt that the after is a powerful move of God's spirit. But the thing that we try to shortcut in the church is the before is this beautiful word called repentance. 
In the Bible, in Acts chapter 2, there's this famous verse that uh, if you're in church a while, you've heard quote often. In, in the last days, the Lord says, I will pour out my spirit and my sons and daughters will prophesy. And this verse was quoted by Peter as he was getting ready to launch the church. And the Bible says that shortly after that, he preached the gospel message and thousands gathered. And the Holy Spirit, like Acts chapter 2 uh, was uh, said would happen, the Holy Spirit was poured out and 3,000 people were added to the church in one day. It was prophesied that there would be an outpouring. One chapter later in the Bible, an outpouring happened and 3,000 people were added to the church in one day. Now, I want you to, to, to realize that when the, um, uh, in the Old Testament, when you know, Aaron worshiped a golden calf, uh, when Moses was bringing the law to the people, 3,000 people died in one day. So when the law was released, 3,000 people died. When the spirit was released, 3,000 people were saved. I find it interesting that it was the exact same number, but one was death and one was life. And so what I mean is that if we release the laws of God, the word of God, the principles of God, without the Holy Spirit, people die. But with the Holy Spirit, people live. This is why it's dangerous to preach a word in a church that's not yielded to the Holy Spirit because I'm preaching things that's impossible for you to do in your humanity, but is actually possible to do in your divinity, meaning that you're yielding to the Holy Spirit who is within you. And so we have to be very careful, in, and I've said this a million times, we have to be careful that we don't preach really profound words from God's word to dead people. Because we need to preach the gospel to dead people. Jesus came, he lived, he died, he was resurrected so you could be forgiven and could be filled with the Holy Spirit. But if we preach the truth to dead people, we kill them. We preach the gospel to dead people so they can become alive in Christ and then we preach the truth to the alive people that we preach the gospel to. This is good stuff. This is discipleship 101. And so what I'm telling you is there is a before, even before the truth. Do you know the gospel? Before the move of the Holy Spirit, have you repented? You know, that verse in Acts chapter 2, um, this is really good preaching, by the way. You can put it in the chat. This is really good stuff. I don't know where this is coming from. Thank you, Jesus. But that verse in Acts chapter 2 was repeated. You know, I always say the, the Bible is God repeating himself. He pretty much says the same thing over and over again to a bunch of people who need him to say the same things over and over again. Are you like me? So whenever you look at a verse of the Bible, do yourself a favor. You want to know the Bible? See if it's been said before. Often it is. Acts chapter 2, my sons and daughters will prophesy. They were repeating something that was said in Joel chapter 2 hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Talk about God's word never changing. That his word in Acts chapter 2 was relevant and the first time it was said was hundreds of years ago and it was still relevant. But there was a before and an after. Joel chapter 2 verses 12 through 31 says, this is what the Lord says. Turn to me now while there is still time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting and weeping and mourning. Don't tear your clothing in your grief, but tear your hearts instead. So um, that culture back then, if they heard something that they thought would grieve God, they would rip up their H&M t-shirt as a way of showing God uh, hey, I'm like really upset. 
uh, my Zara shirt, it's like they would just, buttons would pop off and I don't know where that came from, but that's what they would do. And God's like, hey, stop doing that, tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God. And listen to why God's asking him, them to return. Not because you're bad. Don't return to God because of who you are. Return to God because of who he is. And what is he? He's a lot of things, but he's merciful, compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. He's merciful, compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. He's merci- mer- merciful, can't even say it, merciful, compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. That's why you should come back. You know, there's these stats that so many people aren't coming back to church. And many of us pastors are tempted to try to do things to get people to come back to church. But he said, come back to me. And here's why. I'm merciful, compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. And as I was reading this, the Lord showed me that when people come back to church, they need to come back to people who are merciful. They need to come back to people who are compassionate, people who are slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. And we missed our opportunity in this sometimes. Like I see, you know, like even during all the racism stuff, it's like, Somebody says black lives matter and I get all the implications of that for some people. And, you know, you heard people say all lives matter. But in some sense, it was like, you know, the house burns down and somebody's crying about their house. And we go, well, all houses matter. There's just no compassionate. So even if you don't agree with their approach to it, we have to be merciful and compassionate. Or we have, you know conservative Republican leaders that you don't agree with and we literally are, 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 are praying when Donald Trump got COVID, I saw Christians celebrating that. Where's your mercy and your compassion? So God's watching who you withhold mercy to because he's waiting for you and the mercy you sow is the mercy you reap. So what opportunities have we missed to sow mercy And here's where you sow mercy. You sow mercy to the people you hate. I hate these people. You got to sow mercy. And to the people that you feel like are overreacting, you got to sow compassion. And then there'll be a return. The before and after. So here's what I'm realizing. We pray for revivals, but returns come before. Revivals the after, the return is the before. How can there be anybody to revive if they don't come? So we need people who are dead in their offense, dead in their fears, dead in their sins, watching online a merciful and compassionate pastor and church. Because remember, the after is the revival, but the return is the before. God needed them to return so he could revive them. And people have left the church by millions in this last season of COVID. And we're praying for revival, but we need to be praying for a return. And we can't pray for a return. What precedes a return? The after, return is also after. Everything in the kingdom of God is an after. Remember Daniel, uh, Mr. Miyagi told Danielson, after, after. It's my favorite thing he ever says, after. 
Everything in the kingdom of God is an after. Everything. You need to discover the before because the after is just a result. So if revival comes after return, what does return come after? A revelation of mercy. A revelation of compassion. Slow to get angry. Slow to post about what makes you mad. And filled with unloving, failing love, which means that when people fail me, my love remains. That's the before the return. And I've been terrible about this, so sorry for preaching something I didn't always practice, but this is something God is convicting me about. Who knows? After you do this, perhaps he will give you a reprieve, send you a blessing instead of this curse. Do you know that this, like this changes curses to blessings? Do you know how powerful that is? Perhaps you'll be able to offer grain and wine to the Lord your God as before. Man, what a healthy church. I miss giving in the offering. I need that congregation. Perhaps you'll be able to, it speaks to offering not as an obligation, but an honor. It says, blow the ram's horn in Jerusalem or the raider's horn or whatever team you're a fan of. But announce a time of fasting. Call the people together for a solemn meeting. Gather all the people, the elders, the children, and even the babies. Call the bridegroom from his quarters and the bride from her private room. Get people out of what they're doing and get them to start repenting. Notice he's just listing, listing a couple of things. Get the baby out of preschool. Stop the wedding. Stop the church service. Everybody, stop the preaching. Let the priests who minister, they're ministering. Stop all of it. And stand and weep between the entry room to the temple and the altar. Stop. No more sermons. No more weddings. No more community things. I don't want to hear anyone's, ver- I don't want to hear anyone's devotional I don't want to hear any, what anyone has to say about me. I need you to repent. Don't go to the wedding. Don't go to the party. Don't do the growth track. Stop. Everyone stop what they're doing and repent. So we think the after of revival is the action of the things we do. But he's saying, no, I need you to stop some stuff and repent. Let them pray. Spare your people, Lord. Don't let your special possession become an object of mockery. Don't let them become a joke for unbelieving foreigners who say, has the God of Israel left them? So when you stop all the stuff and you pray and repent, look what verse 18 says God will do. Isn't this weird? Stop all of it. I think for a while, church was stopped. We couldn't gather. We couldn't do anything. And I wonder if we were supposed to use that time for prayer and repentance. Instead, we used it for circumventing natural consequences of not praying and repenting and using streaming to keep doing what we always did. I'm just saying, like, this is so important. Then the Lord will pity his people and jealously guard the honor of his land. The Lord will reply, look, I'm sending you grain and new wine and olive oil. Like, this ain't, this is... This ain't no um, cold duck. This ain't no strawberry hill new wine. You can't get this at the corner store. This is fresh crushed grapes, just angels crushing the grapes. This is Merlot and Chardonnay. This ain't no old English 800. This is the good stuff God's going to send. And he's going to send olive oil enough to satisfy your needs. You'll no longer be an object of mockery around the surrounding nations. I will drive away these armies from the north. I will send them to the parched wastelands. Those in front will be driven into the Dead Sea. 
By the way, he says he's gonna send your enemies into the parched wastelands. Parched means you're gonna be thirsty. Later, Jesus would say, if your enemy's thirsty, give him something to drink. Whoa. What if God won't send our enemies into the parched wastelands until he knows that we'd give them something to drink? What if that's the before? I need to know that when I deliver you from your enemies and all the people who are coming after you, that you would give them something to drink when they're thirsty and their lips are chapped and haven't had anything to drink. I need the church to feed the very people that stop, the very person that tried to stop you from getting what God had for you. I need you to give them something to drink. This is profound before and after. And I really believe as a church, if we discover the thing we're supposed to do before, we don't have to worry about what God wants to do after. He said, those in the front will be driven into the Dead Sea and those at the rear into the Mediterranean. The stench of their rotting bodies will rise over the land. Sheesh, he said, it's going to be funky. Surely the Lord has done great things. Don't be afraid, O land. Be glad now and rejoice. God's prophesying to the land. Don't be afraid, you animals of the field, for the wilderness pastures will soon be green. The trees will again be filled with fruit. You know, the Bible says all of creation groans for the sons of, and daughters of God to be revealed. Who are the sons? The Bible says those who are led by the Spirit are the sons and daughters of God. All of creation is waiting for you to receive the Holy Spirit and your identity to be a son or a daughter of God. This is profoundly spiritual. Verse 23 says, rejoice, you people of Jerusalem. Rejoice in the Lord your God. Rejoice in the Lord your God. Rejoice because of God, not because of the stuff, because of God. For the rain he sends demonstrates his faithfulness. Once more, the autumn rains will come as well as the rains of spring. The threshing floors will again be piled high with grain and the presses will overflow with new wine and olive oil. The Lord says, I will give you back what you lost to the swarming locusts, the hopping locusts, the stripping locusts, and the cutting locusts. A plague of locusts had destroyed all of their provision and prosperity. And God says, it was I who sent this great destroying army against you. Once again, though, you will have all the food that you want and you will praise the Lord your God who does these miracles for you. Never again will my people be disgraced. Then you will know that I am among my people Israel, that I am the Lord your God and there is no other. Never again will my people be disgraced. Then, after doing all these things, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. This is no joke. Anybody believing for the spirit to be poured out on your life? Do you know what happens when the Holy Spirit is poured out on your life? Everything you need is in Christ. Every single thing you need is in the Holy Spirit. The Bible actually says the kingdom of God is peace, joy, and righteousness in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God is in the Holy Spirit. Everything, God's kingdom has provision. God's kingdom has hope. God's kingdom has peace. Everything, God's kingdom has joy, character. Everything you need is in the Holy Spirit because the kingdom of God is joy, peace, and righteousness in the Holy Spirit. But it says I'm not sending the Holy Spirit until I do two things, repentance and restoration. Look at it. You can read Joel 2 again. Joel chapter two again, it starts off with repentance. It moves into restoration and then it moves into an outpouring. So God says, I need you to reconcile and repent for the things that you have done. And then I'm going to give you back the things that your actions cost you 
and then I'm going to pour out my spirit. How can we say God is not good? All I need you to do is repent for what you've done. All I need you to do is call out what you're doing. What are we in right now? Are we not in a season of calling everyone out for what they're doing and canceling them? We call them out and we cancel them. Call out, cancel. Call out, cancel. And Christians do it too. And he's going, wait a minute. I need you to call yourself out. And if you can just call yourself out, then I'm going to restore what those things cost you. And then I'm going to pour out my spirit. Why is this important? Because when God pours out his spirit, one of the things he asks us to do is to share Christ and preach the gospel. But the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. What what does redemption mean in the Bible? To get back what you lost. So if you haven't yet got back something you lost, God doesn't want you to say anything. Have you lost your peace? Have you lost your passion? Have you lost your hope? Have you lost your sense of direction? We need to be taking inventory of what we've lost because God's saying, I want to give that back to you before you start talking. There's a lot of talk going on. That's why he goes back to the verse earlier. He said, let the priests who are ministering, let them shut up so I can give them something back. You know, in in Luke chapter 1, This is scary to me. When the ministers were in the tabernacle, do you know what they were doing? There was no people. So what was a minister doing in the tabernacle if there were no people? They were ministering to the Lord. And how they ministered to the Lord in the outer court qualified them to minister to the Lord in the inner court qualified them to minister to the court in the, holy, in, the, in, in the holy of holies where the glory of God was. The only purpose that a minister had was trying to get to the glory. The revelation of God's goodness. There wasn't campuses. There wasn't attendance. There wasn't building a big ministry. There wasn't a platform. The only thing they were trying to do was get to the glory of God. I need to repent. I need to repent. That is not the only thing I'm trying to do. I'm not, I'm not, that is not the only thing I'm trying to do. Even I need to repent for something I said earlier to the team. Before I started preaching, we were like filming and there's not that many people here. And so I was like, yeah, guys, could you maybe like, you know, engage a little bit in the sermon when I'm, when I'm ministering just because, you know, like, you know, I want people to, and God's like, There's no, there was no people there. Would you come in here and share the same word, knowing that I'm the only one who would hear it? Would you come here and just minister in my presence? You know what I feel the thing I'm going to do on this five weeks of not preaching? And I just heard this right now. The Lord wants me to come down to the church when no one's here and minister to him. Do the same things I always do. Pray, share God's word read God's word out loud and minister to the Lord because we've lost sight of that. I've lost sight of it. And even like, man, help me preach. Come on, Clayton. Come on, Colton. Like I need, I need the, I need the audience to engage or I can't do 
what I'm supposed to do. And you know what? God's like, but I'm engaged. I love to hear you share God's word. I love to hear you pray. I love to hear you. And I'm like, man, God needs to give me that back. That thing that I had when it was just me and him, I was so happy. And now recently, I don't know if I've been happy when it's just God. And God's saying, if you let me give that back to you, Julian, then after doing all those things, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on servants, not just lead pastors, on servants, men and women alike. I will cause wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and terrible day the Lord arrives. You know, before and after, after all these things, I will come and pour out the spirit. Why don't we pace back and forth in prayer gatherings and pray for an outpouring? Outpouring is a result. We don't need to pray for rain. We need to pray for clouds. Because if we get some clouds, it's going to rain. We pray for rain. We don't pray for clouds. We pray for flowers. We don't pray for seed. We pray for, we got to start praying for the before. The after is coming if the before is there. Matthew 14, 17. This is Jesus' first sermon. The first thing he preached. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sin and turn to God. For the kingdom of heaven is near. And this is why in battles and blessings, just to kind of wrap this up, I was realizing something about the miracles in the wilderness compared to the wilderness in the promised land. The miracles in the wilderness were prior to the repentance. Think about it. So basically, all the people had to die off that wouldn't repent and wouldn't obey. So the miracles in the wilderness, everyone got. But in the promise, he had to wait for some people to die off. And look at the difference in the, in the miracles. The, mild, the miracles in the wilderness sustained Israel. The miracles in the book of Joshua advanced them. So God will always sustain you because he loves you. But when it's time to repent, when you repent, now the miracles advance you. See, prior to my repentant life, God did so many miracles providing for me. I get these jobs, I get these things, and I wasn't living for God, but it was like, thank God, God, you're a provider. You don't just need to know God as a provider, you need to know God as an advancer. Somebody that moves you forward, that when you do this miracle, and if he's providing you for, three, for 30 years, and that's your prayer life is God, you always provide. Are you advancing? There might be something you need to repent of if you don't feel like you're advancing. Because the Bible says this about the kingdom. That, the verse that I don't have, I took it out. Look it up. It says the kingdom of God is always advancing. <laughs> That's what it says. The kingdom of God is always advancing. And so in the time I have left, I, I want you to know simply what repentance is. Repentance is what happens to the mind afterwards. It's a change of mind, which yields a change in direction. But the word comes from like metanoia, which means to change after, not before. And often 
we teach repentance is something you have to do in order to engage with God. That's not true. The word repentance means to change after being with. So even repentance is a before and after. Repentance is the after. If you feel in your heart there's something you need to repent of, God is already speaking to you and revealing his love to you. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw the entire world, amen, unto me. So, so a faith does not begin with repentance. A faith begins with a revelation that God is here and his presence is here and he's always been there. And so repentance is to change after being with. So if you're in the presence of God and if you're, you're being ministered to and, you're, and you sense God's love, it, it's time to say, I need to change my mind. I don't want to do things my own way. It's not just an intellectual assessment. People say sometimes, yeah, I need to repent of that. No, 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 no. It's not admitting you're wrong. And I want you to write this down. An apology is admitting you're wrong. Repentance is a long-term commitment to changing the thought process that led to doing something wrong. Do you see the difference? Repentance, uh, an apology is like, babe, I'm sorry, honey, I shouldn't have spoke to you that way. And we think, man, I just had to repent to my wife and tell her I shouldn't have spoke to her that way. No, that's just an apology. You're admitting you're wrong. Repentance is a change of mind. What made me speak to my wife that way? And Lord, I, don't, I want to have a thinking that would prevent me from ever doing that again. And it's a commitment thing, not a moment. It's a commitment. The word for repentance in the Hebrew literally symbolizes journey or pilgrimage. It reflects the notion of making a journey or a pilgrimage after making a dramatic turn. So it is not saying, let's say I'm facing this way towards my own sins. And repentance is not, sorry, Lord, I'll never do that again. Repentance is, I'm headed this direction, I'm turning around, and Lord, I'm willing to go on the journey, the pilgrimage, for you to show me in your presence, through, in his word, through community, how to be transformed into the person who would not do that. That's true repentance. It's not willing yourself to do better and think better. It is a highly supernatural thing that only the Holy Spirit can lead a human to do. I want you to write this down. Repentance is more of an opportunity, opportunity than it is an obligation. It's an opportunity to say, um, even as a dad, I want to teach my son about respect more than I want to teach my son how much I don't like being disrespected. Does that make sense? So the heart of repentance is not God doesn't like disrespect, so respect him. God, the heart of repentance is I need to learn the power of respect and I want to learn from my dad. Does that make sense? It is a beautiful word when we look at it that way. It's to turn and go on a journey with God that is much better than the direction you are headed. And here's the thing about God. You, you can't read a word about repentance and not read Psalm 37. And the Bible says in Psalm 37 that God delights in our way. So God is delighted in the turn not the learn. Humans are delighted with the learn. They want to make sure that you know. They want to see that you know. They prove it to me. Do it. But, but the devil's that way too. Because what did the devil tempt Jesus to do? Prove that you're the son of God. So people and the devil want you to prove it. 
All God wants you to do is turn. It's not a proof, it's a pivot. Just turn. And God's already delighted. And then people say prove it, and the devil says prove it. But no, it's not a proof, it's just a pivot. Just turn. Just head a different direction. Learn, figure it out. Admit your mistakes along the way. And trust God to transform you, like Romans 12 says, with the renewing of your mind. Repentance is a change of mind. Second Corinthians, now that we've talked about what repentance is, I just want to tell you what repentance is not. Second Corinthians 7 is, verses 9 through 11 says, Yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. So, so repentance is not regret, but world, worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you? What earnestness, genuineness, or authenticity? What eagerness to clear or cleanse yourself? What indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done? If repentance doesn't produce those things, it's worldly repentance, which just means I feel bad about it. Oh man, I'm sorry I did that. But it doesn't create a longing or a concern or a readiness to see justice done. Y'all, this is no joke. This is no joke. And as, in closing, I, I want to share with you that being that, you know, repentance is the change of the mind, changing the way that we think. It's not changing our actions. It's changing our thought patterns. The Bible says take every thought and make it be obedient to Christ because your th thought changes your actions. So the gospel creates a change of heart. Repentance ch changes a, uh, creates a change of thought. Anyone with a changed heart and a changed mind does the right thing. So we don't need to preach about actions. It's why I don't post about um, different societal issues anymore because I haven't found them to be helpful. I don't post about racism. I don't post about abortion. I don't post about these things because at the end of the day, people need a changed heart. We need the gospel. The gospel changes the heart. Repentance changes the mind. And everybody with a changed heart and a changed mind has changed actions and behavior. That's that simple. So, so Jesus preached the kingdom, the gospel, and he preached repentance. And then everybody wanted to know what to do after that. So can I just tell you just great classic church, you preach the gospel and repentance to the crowds, to the people, to the masses. You preach truth to your disciples, people that you're willing to go on a journey with, and this type of thing will change the world. Romans chapter 12, verse two says this, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. This is repentance. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed, but transformed. And that word conform means outward shape, something that has happened on the outside that hasn't happened on the inside. And transform means change outwardly from an inner reality. 
As we close, write this down. The opposite of transforming is not always staying the same. The opposite of transforming is often conforming. Trying to make it look that way on the outside when on the inside you ain't feeling it. You're not, you're not, you're not feeling it. God is good. And that's not an inside revelation. We just are scared to say something else because people in the room are watching us say something. And I really believe that this true moment of repentance, we've talked about what repentance is and what repentance is not. And in closing, I just want to not tell you how to repent because there is no system of how to repent. The Holy Spirit actually helps us repent. The Holy Spirit draws you to God draws you to God the Father, Jesus the Son, and all, that, all of that. So what happens in a moment like this is repentance comes from a change of focus. When you take a second to take your focus off of other people and off of what you want out of this life, and you put it on yourself for a moment, and you say, God, will you show me something I need to change my mind about? Does that make sense? Will you show that to me? Am I wrong about this? And start with the things that you are convinced you're right about. Like, honestly, like, I'm not talking about, remember, repentance is a change of mind. Yes, you need to repent of sin. But for our church, I think we're healthy enough to know what sin is. I feel like the things I want you to, and if you got some sin to repent of, please do. But I think we need to repent of something we think we're right about. And if you know nothing in your life that you think you're right about, that God isn't showing you in this moment you're wrong, go deeper, man. Go deeper. And ask God to reveal it to you. And then when God reveals it to you, so let me give you the list. Ask God to show you what's wrong. Step one, ask God to show you what needs to change. Ask God to show you what you need to repent of. Ask God to show you what needs to change. Ask God to show you. So step one, ask God to show you what you need to repent of. Start with something you thought you were right about and check. Step number two, ask God to reveal to you how much he loves you. Don't ask God to change it. Ask God to reveal to you how much he loves you. Ask God to reveal to you what needs to be different than ask God to reveal to you how much he loves you in spite of what that thing was. Because before, when you need a revelation of repentance, you need a revelation of love. The Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. So if you're sitting in the presence of God and you get 18 things you need to repent of, you need 10,000 things revealed to you about how much God loves you. And I think we get into bondage when we have a revelation of repentance and then a revelation of change. No, we need a revelation of repentance and a revelation of love. And everyone who has a revelation of love changes. Change is the fruit of love. It's it, 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 the love of God, that is. And so step one, ask God to show you what you need to repent of. Step two, ask God to reveal his deep love for you. And step three, ask what God, God how he wants to show you and lead you to make a difference. That's it. That's all repentance is. It's changing your mind. It's getting those neurons and electrons and brain cells to think about the goodness of God, not the sins of other people or your dreams or your hopes and your desires. It's just setting your heart and your mind on the Lord. Like, thank you, Jesus. Learning to minister to him, learning to have him reveal to you what needs to change.
Because I think a lot of people repent of things that people want them to change for. And God has not told them I want that to change. They, people want it to change. And so you think it's wrong because people don't like it. No, some of the things, God's like, okay, so ask him to show you. And so right now, I'm gonna give you a moment to just pray wherever you're at online. If you're driving, then God can meet you in your car. But just ask God to show you, to show you, to show you. Show you and then tell you. I might do a message one day called show and tell. Show me what I need to repent of. Tell me how much you love me. That is the process of healthy repentance. Show me what I need to repent of. Tell me how much you love me. Show me what I need to repent of. Tell me how much you love me. This type of dynamic intimacy with God will create a healthy life of repentance. David was an animal. Lived his life sometimes like a degenerate. Man, that dude could repent. God, he was good at that. We wouldn't give David a job in our church, Grace. And God gave him the job to be the king of Israel. And your average church in America wouldn't let David lead a connect group. Wait, you did what? Excuse me? You, you killed a man and... Oh, yeah, no. Let's get you to go to growth track and let's just get you to just get some therapy. And there's a place for that, but that's not the next step. Show me what I need to repent of. Tell me how, you, how much you love me. And I believe as our church does this, they're going to be set free. So, Father, we thank you so much for who you are. Lord, we ask your goodness to be revealed to people. We ask, Lord, that as you are revealing showing them what they need to repent of, that they follow the next step of wanting you to tell them how much you love them because your love and your grace increases for people that have things they need to repent of. The Bible says where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So we cannot change unless grace is increasing more than our sin. And so, Father, we thank you for this before and after that's going to happen in the lives of those who call our church home and the body of Christ at large that we would repent, we would be restored, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit would come. That's what we're believing for over this next five weeks, and we trust you to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, love you so much, church, and I can't wait to see you soon online. Have an incredible week.